Hello, welcome to the Project Matter podcast. My name is Drew Swanson, and today we're going to be launching a mini-series within the larger series on spirituality, and it is honestly a pretty hard topic to be talking about, but as we are Project Matter, and our purpose is to start productive conversations about things that matter, sometimes the things that matter most are the things that are hard to talk about. Uh, So what we're going to be talking about in this mini-series is how the LGBTQ plus community relates to religious communities. And as we know, the LGBTQ plus community and religious communities historically have not seen eye to eye. And the religious communities that we're going to be talking about in this series are Christian communities, and that is just because myself and most of the people I know come from Christian communities. We're going to start the series hearing some stories from some LGBTQ plus people who have grown up in non-affirming Christian atmospheres. Then after we hear from them, we are going to listen to a Christian person respond to the LGBTQ plus community. And then we are going to hear about a affirming Christian church. And then we're going to call it good after that. And hopefully progress will be made from having these conversations. So to start out the series, I have a really good friend of mine, Anissa Pemberton. And I guess you would call them a uh, family member of mine, as my parents are their godparents. So I will let Anissa introduce themselves. Hi, folks listening. Uh, my name is Anissa. I, um, I'm a non-binary, queer, uh, Mexican-American person. Um, I'm mixed race. My dad is a, a white guy. He, he's Scottish and Irish. And my mom is a brown and Mexican-American. Um, I use uh, they, them pronouns or my name, Anissa. Um, yeah. So, Anissa, it's been quite the journey for you to discover your own identity, um, just sexual identity, gender identity, and you grew up in a pretty conservative Catholic community. So I'm just wondering, what is your story? Yeah. um, You know, when I was preparing for the podcast, I kind of wanted to start with, like, some of the things that were really positive about growing up Catholic for me because I think um, sometimes when we talk about like queer trauma we kind of lose track of (laughs) like the things that were good or that did bring us joy or like helped us learn joy that comes from our roots Um, so yeah I was uh, really devoted to my faith as a Catholic until about 16 or so yeah, I I was really into like the ceremony and the community and we were involved in a lot of charity work as a Catholic. Um, and I just always found that really unique um, feeling for me. Um, yeah, and then our local parish, you know, was predominantly white, but there were like a lot of Me- Mexican-American folks that went there. And so it was one of the only ways I really got to touch my Mexican-American heritage. Mm -hmm. Um, The town itself was only about 5,000 people. So, you know, I think we were still a pretty marginalized community, (laughs) frankly, in town. But we, it was a really cool space to just go and actually hear Spanish language, frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also just to hear the music and the different, like, cultural aspects of being Mexican-American and Catholic. 
Um, we have our own spin on things. So that was always really cool. Um, mm -hmm. I think the other thing I enjoyed was like mission trips. Um, although they are kind of problematic. <laughs> <laughs> um, in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, I painted someone's house, but they were also um, telling me that they had to eat cat for dinner. So wow. I don't know if we were actually solving anybody's problems, like to say, but for me personally, it was a really awesome experience. I got to go all around the country um, with my friends, you know, for yeah. the most part. Um, we got to go to New Orleans and Denver and Philadelphia and Virginia and so many different places that I would never probably have gone to organically mm -hmm. myself as a kid. Yeah. Um, and especially New Orleans was really cool. Um, I loved going to New Orleans. Um, and so those like mission trips experiences were like just part of like the year round culture that I was in in Catholic um in my catholic environment and unlike catholic school it was actually like a pretty chill group of people <laughs> mm -hmm. and so i felt pretty comfortable and you know my godfather led the group and i just felt pretty at home there yeah um and as i got older i think it got tougher in the group because people were feeling a lot of conflicted feelings about the queer folks in the group and how to manage that and i think that made it a little tougher um but for the most part like the mission trip experiences were just like a hell of a lot of fun and uh i'm actually pretty good at painting houses but awesome don't tell your dad that <laughs> <laughs> don't worry i already painted their house this oh summer, yeah that's right so you, you took care of that for maybe me. they'll hit you up in like 10 years or something i'm scared of heights so <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah and then i think the other thing i was thinking about too is my quinceanera when i was 15 which like you were there that was a pretty cool experience yeah like, um, I enjoyed it. Yeah. But was, how was your experience? So you, you enjoyed that? I did enjoy it for the most part. I found it a little like funny at the time at different points in the in the experience, but I mostly enjoyed it. I think mm -hmm. I really just enjoyed being able to like be Mexican and like there weren't a lot of ways for me to express that as like a mixed race kid who like doesn't speak Spanish and, <laughs> yeah. and like grow up in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a really cool experience. And then like all the family coming together and you know, everybody kind of celebrating me. I, I sometimes joke that I don't want a big wedding because I had a quinceanera. So like I already <laughs> It did... was a big deal. So what is a quinceanera? Yeah, so a quinceanera is like, a, it's a coming of age ritual in Latino cultures, Latina cultures. And it's generally done for women, although it's also done for men. Well, people who are assigned male or assigned female. Yeah. Um, And so it's, it's really just a coming of age ceremony. It kind of originates from like indigenous practices of like celebrating folks at 15 as like becoming a man or becoming a woman or becoming mm -hmm. an adult. Um, but now it's morphed into this like weird <laughs> like cultural thing in its own right. Like people always wear um, really like pastel clothing, like a lot of like big pastel dresses. Like it's pretty typical yeah. to see. Like some people even wear white, like but usually it's like pastel pink or blue okay. um i wore red because i'm rebellious <laughs> and my grandmother was like a little like mm, <laughs> about it but um my mom like came up with a catholic reason for it which was pretty fun she was like oh this color symbolizes like atonement and humility mm -hmm. but actually for me it was just like i wanted to wear a really bright color and wanted to be different than my peers so nice. yeah so that was really fun and it was cool we had like the big uh i don't is it called the court i don't remember what they call it but it's like the 14 girls and 14 boys 
and uh -huh. like all your friends and like most people don't have like the whole full thing it, like symbolizes your years and then you're like the 15 year old okay um yeah so mm -hmm. but uh, yeah so you were part of that that was pretty funny like so all my cousins and like everybody kind of just getting oh, wrapped up in the process thing. yeah yeah like everybody got kind of like sucked into the process and that was kind of cool mm -hmm. um but you know even that was really hard i remember we had to bring in a friend um a priest um, because the parish priest didn't want to perform quinceaneras because he oh. thought they were like not Catholic basically. Hmm. So he refused to do it. And so we had to like bring in a parish priest and it was just like a, it was a really interesting experience of like Catholicism and like how I had always thought of Mexican American Catholicism as like my Catholicism and yeah. like the questioning of like the legitimacy of that it had some racial undertones um, mm. but overall it was a really cool experience and i think it was like the first time i learned how to cumbia really like my mom like sat down and like taught me how to do it and like mm -hmm. i i just like really got to connect with my culture in a new way and i think it that's opened awesome. up a lot of doors for me that's awesome so, yeah yeah so those are kind of like the highlights of like my catholic childhood of like mm -hmm. The things I of the positive things, yeah, yeah, like the things mm -hmm. that I think a lot of about when I'm like, oh, that's why I still have like some attachment to Catholicism, even though I'm mm. like haven't been at all practicing in like about ten years. Um, yeah, so I think those are the things that are kind of like the roots, the things that like hold me to mm -hmm. it to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, gotcha. So you. I have an advantage because I know Anissa's story, um, <laughs> yeah. but um, you've told me that you've known from a very early age that you didn't exactly fit, you know, the gender norms, um, sexuality norms. Mm -hmm. uh, just explain how, like, when you kind of realized that and just kind of the story behind that and also just how that relates with your Catholic um, community as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I started going to Catholic school when I was about 12. Um, I was in sixth grade, so it was a pretty big moment. I feel like middle school is rough for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really hard, you know, shifting schools. Um, and when I did, I started being noticed for things I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of before, I think. I think I was always kind of interpreted as like this tomboy at my public school but like it wasn't really something that people teased me too much about you know mm -hmm. it was kind of just like okay there was so many tomboys you know mm -hmm. in in the public school um and a lot of them were like considered pretty cool so <laughs> i was not one of those people i don't think but uh -huh. <laughs> like i think that was totally possible in the mm -hmm. public school environment that i was in yeah um but when i came to catholic school the gender norms had been like really solidified for those kids for a long time and in Catholic theology, it's it's probably pretty similar to a lot of Christian faith traditions in that like women are supposed to be subservient to men. You know, we're the first fallen evil. Like, mm, yeah. And when I say we, I guess people with vaginas are like kind of included by default. So I'll say mm -hmm. women a lot. Um, and I'm just kind of talking about people with vaginas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to put it in their faith traditions words, I guess. Yeah. Um, but what I remember from it. Um, so there was like a lot of ways that like I was taught starting in middle school that I was not supposed to act and, and that I did act <laughs> like I've always been very outspoken and opinionated 
Um, I've never been one to shy away from debates. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm an unfriendly person, but some people get, <laughs> I think, to get a little intimidated by me. Um, and so that sort of attitude was like really not something that like fit in in that setting. And once I was more comfortable, it started coming out more. You know, I think in the first couple of years, it wasn't a thing really. Yeah. Once I got into high school, it was like a thing. I think the other thing was just that I went through puberty really early. So like I just developed earlier than most kids my age. I, I started at 10. And so by the time I was like 12 um, and, you know, other folks might not relate to this, but I, I like had a fully formed like sexuality <laughs> and like I, I was mm. definitely sexual and like nobody really knew how to deal with it, which makes sense. I mean, 12 year old kid, I can get why my parents were uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, when I was 15, I, I tried to reconfirm my faith. Um, I was on a mission trip, and this is one of the turning points where mission trips start feeling started feeling less fun um, after a while. Um, I had this really intense spiritual experience of like Jesus dying for my sins and like the weight of that concept. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember I went to a confessional, and I basically was like, I feel really called to uh, the faith right now, and I'm struggling with the churching that I don't think I said I was queer, but I think I said I was just struggling with the church's teaching on LGBTQ people. Mm -hmm. And it was just a hold up for me in terms of like really committing to the faith. Um, and you know, the priest was just like, it's a sin, you gotta be abstinent. Mm. If you're LGBTQ, and that's like really the only way to do it. And I just couldn't, it just kind of broke my heart. And it just kind of interrupted the entire experience like everything i was feeling at that point i just lost kind of almost mm. instantaneously like and i think that was like one of the first i mean i don't really remember feeling very spiritual as a catholic all the mm. time but I, I that was one of the few experiences where i was really feeling connected and just felt really shut down you know after that experience and then yeah when i was 17 by the time i was 17 like i had had a few interactions like sexual interactions with girls like we messed around a little bit and then I had had like a near romantic relationship with a longtime friend of mine. Um, I saw a meme the other day that like reminded me of her. And I was mm. like, yeah, that's kind of true, though, because it was like I it's like lesbians will be like, I never had a girlfriend in high school. And it's like your codependent friend is right over there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, OK, a little cut yeah. out by that. <laughs> um, so it was like that kind of relationship where we were just like very intimate, very close. And it, it was mm -hmm. almost romantic, like it was always like teetering on it. Um, yeah. And then I had like a girl that like we called each other girlfriends for a while and like we messed around like once and we would go to Hooters to like hide out from townies so people wouldn't find out. <laughs> um, and then like I, you know, but I was also messing around with dudes at that point and I think, um, you know, I actually had sex with a guy, which I, I mean, I guess your def definitions of sex can vary, like, but yeah. to me that was like when I lost my virginity. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there wasn't really like a lot of guidance around that um, in my community. Um, I don't think people really knew how to deal with like, like sexuality for, you know, quote unquote women very much. Like they, they just kind of, it was just an uncomfortable subject. Mm -hmm. um, so people just tended to avoid it. And then I felt like a lot of guilt and shame when people would find out about it. Because um, I knew that, you know, my, my family and my church community and everybody had much different expectations for me, but I frankly just have a very high sex drive. Mm -hmm. And I think I probably should have been more careful <laughs> to be quite honest. But I also think like people just didn't know how to deal with it. Like they, 
it was just kind of something that people thought women didn't have i like i feel like a lot of cis men probably had some form of like a youth pastor or somebody kind of talking to them about sexuality mm -hmm. um i didn't have that really mm -hmm. i mean the only thing i heard was like don't do it <laughs> but like i didn't even have like a health class so i didn't understand okay. my anatomy at all mm -hmm. and so sex was like not well it just wasn't very good in retrospect like at the time it was fun and i and i thought it was fun but like in retrospect, I'm like, wow, that was pretty limited actually <laughs> in terms of like being like having the best time I can have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I think like by the time I was about 17, I I become depressed. I was um, I was uh, what I've learned since is called passively suicidal, which is when you think a lot about killing yourself or not waking up or other versions of that. Um but it's not like a active threat, but it's still really harmful <laughs> like yeah. having those thoughts. And I, and I didn't understand at the time why I was having them. Like I just was like confused. And until really, until in the last few years, I, I sort of started to put it together and like mm -hmm. notice the triggering events that would like cause those thoughts. And it was often around my gender. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah and so you know my parents i remember telling them and and they didn't know what to do with it and for some reason they were like yeah let's send them to a priest um <laughs> and so and he was a nice guy he was he was a pretty nice guy he actually grew up with my dad which is like just a fun fact <laughs> but he was a bro like for lack of better words like he I remember him giving like sermons on beer kegs he would like compare the holy spirit to a beer keg <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. All right. Yeah, he was like our high school priest. So, and we always mm -hmm. had like, I think it was like monthly mass maybe or weekly. I don't remember. It's like, like a whole school. Anyways, so he was just kind of like that. And I, did, I didn't feel like emotionally comfortable with him at all. So I just was like, I'm depressed. And he was like, why? And I was like, I'm depressed. <laughs> and, he, and, it, and, you know, it just really wasn't, um, it wasn't very helpful. I mean, I'm glad I wasn't, I, it wasn't an active suicidal thing because mm -hmm. I, I didn't really have a lot of support. Um, I don't think people knew what to do with it. Um, and then I think around the same age, I was outed to some folks at my school by my friend's dad. He, he worked as a gen janitor at the school um, and he figured out I was queer. I think I was like hanging out with girls at that time or something and it you know mm -hmm. rumors had start to spread or whatever mm. or maybe his daughter told him i don't know anyways um you know my friend stuck by me through that but it, it did scare me and i did get like some <laughs> negative vibes after that yeah. like i can't remember anyone really like directly like being you know really rude to me but i certainly felt like more socially like outcasted um I think band was like the only really like somewhat safe space for queer folks in my high school and partly because there was this band teacher who like just didn't really like she just clearly didn't agree with it <laughs> with like the teachings around LGBTQ gotcha. people. Yeah. So she just so she, she operated that way. Yeah. So she just kind of like and I think being in the arts too, frankly, like how do you get in the arts and not like not to stereotype my community too bad, but like a lot of us are artsy people. Um, and, and so like, you, you can't really do theater or music without running into some gay folks. So you get kind of comfortable with them. Yeah. Um, so anyways, this, the band was pretty chill, but like, and there were several like gay boys. I, you know, gay boys are so funny because a lot of them, like the really femme ones people know, you know, and then I find there's like more masculine folks and it's very normal, like, but I think for the femme ones, it's really hard. Like high school is really hard for them. And I think they face like the worst stuff I saw. 
Mm. Um, one of them was like a ballet dancer. Actually, I think he lives in New York now. Like he's like mm. a professional. He's wow. really good. Mm. Anyways, but <laughs> but he would. I mean, everybody knew he was gay. For example, and, and he would get teased you know, mercilessly by the kids. But another kid um, folks didn't know was gay and I wouldn't have known, you know, until um, he got outed and he got outed because he hit on a boy who was outside of the band. Um, and like the whole school was talking about it, you know, because wow. this kid like blasted him. He was one of the popular boys and he like blasted him everywhere. And yeah, and it was really disappointing to see how the majority of the school responded to that. Mm. I think band folks, from what I remember, we were pretty much like, we were upset for him. Like we were not upset at him. Mm -hmm. um, but like the rest of the school was just like, you know, going after him. And even the teachers, they were just like not standing up for him at all. Not like making sure he was safe. And mm -hmm. they were just kind of like, oh, he's just confused. And um, so there's just like a lot of verbal abuse. Yeah, I don't know if he, I didn't witness any physical abuse, so I hope nothing else happened. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, you know, he actually ended up back in the closet. He like basically was like, oh, no, I'm not actually gay. And mm. I don't know if he ever came out again. Um, wow. I, last time I saw him, I don't think he was. Um, he was still like seemed pretty closeted to me. Okay. Um, and he didn't talk about it at all. Yeah, and so, you know, I, I did come out to my parents um, relatively young. I was like 16 or 17. Um, but, you know, I think I really felt like, I, like I said, I couldn't really be queer around them. Mm -hmm. Like, I could be queer in this abstract sense. But, um, you know, even even the best of people in my family, like, thought it was a phase. So, mm. like even the people that were pretty non-judgmental about the actual acts were like, it's just a phase and you'll get over it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, 10 years later, y'all <laughs> still pretty gay. So I, so yeah, it was, um, it was kind of frustrating at different times, I guess. Um, and, and so I, yeah, I think it just kind of pushed me back um, in the closet more and more. And then like when I got out of college, um, you know, I worked at the Salvation Army homeless shelter for like, I don't know, not even like eight weeks, like, like very short amount of time. And in that short amount of time, I had when I came there, I let them know I was gay. And I had like a shaved head at the time. It was the first time I really like cut all my hair off. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I told them pretty upfront because it was pretty obvious. <laughs> um, and they were like, sure. And they hired me. I worked there and then eventually like during a staff meeting, one of the other people who worked there um, basically it called me out in a meeting and was like, they're a lesbian and like my manager said nothing. And then maybe a week after that, I got fired. Wow. Um, so I don't know if it's like explicitly they fired me because I was gay because I think they were just like not happy <laughs> with mm -hmm. my general uh progressive ass being there but but i think i think it was at least in part because like my queerness was like causing you know trouble within the staff and this was a religious organization so i didn't catch where yeah, you were yeah it was the salvation army salvation army yeah okay. they're very religious yeah. um they have a long history of being pretty anti-lgbtq and mm -hmm. at the time when i got hired they were trying to like spin this image you know of kind of like um the accepting but not affirming 
kind yeah. of vibe, right? Yeah. So they were trying to draw, they were trying to walk some line that I don't think ultimately they could really walk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and it was just, uh, I think for a long time I was just hiding myself. Mm -hmm. And it's taken years to like not hide <laughs> anymore. Um, yeah. From so you, yeah, you got fired mm -hmm. from that place and then, um, and then you hid for a while? Well, I, I mean, at that point, when I got fired from the place, I was pretty heartbroken. I was pretty shocked. I, I think I was mm -hmm. a little naive and I thought like, I don't know, the old, it could never happen to me kind of mindset, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think right after that, I got a job as like a waitress. Um, I don't think I got back in the closet, but I was in, it was in the middle of like a lot of my um, sexual assault trauma. Mm. So I was just in a really vulnerable place, I think. Um, at that period of time and just really struggling, mm -hmm. you know, to like just maintain a core. Um, yeah. But I will say what it did do was it kind of like was the final nail in the coffin of like, I'm going to stop trying to um, get acceptance from Christian people who, mm -hmm. who are not um, explicitly affirming on the outset. Because I, I think I just got to the point where I was like, I don't know what else to do. Like, I, I can share your goals, your values. I can want the same things as you. And it's still not enough because of this thing that's, like, in some ways so meaningless, actually. Mm. <laughs> like, when I think about it, like, it, it's really not actually, to me, and maybe I'm just so far outside this world now, but it just doesn't seem like such a big deal. Mm. You know, whatever I do with my body. Like, I don't completely get the mindset anymore. I can remember it, but I... It's so detached. Um, yeah. I don't get it. But at that point, I really just pulled back from Christianity mm -hmm. um, for the most part. And it took me a few more years to get to the point where I could actually like engage with Christianity um, as a queer person and, and be open to it again to any extent. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, for a long time, I was just, I guess I'm an atheist. And I felt like forced yeah. to be, you know, yeah. I didn't feel it, didn't, it never felt truly authentic to how I felt about my spirituality. But I just felt like, what other option do I got? Like, at least the atheists aren't assholes to me. <laughs> like, you didn't feel like you could be a queer person and be a Christian. No, I thought that those things, like as much as I thought there were parts of Christianity that were really beautiful and have a lot of value to just humans, just people, you know, I, I felt like, uh, I just felt like people would never accept me mm -hmm. in Christianity. And if they did, per, if they did say like, even like the right things at times, I, I just felt like there were just always so many limitations on it. Like, yeah, we'll accept you if you're like the right kind of gay. You know, like if you're like monogamous or you're celibate or you're this, that or the other thing or you conform to gender norms primarily. Like, yeah, but it just felt like I couldn't be myself and belong to a church mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. It felt like I and I think that depending on where you live, maybe that's not the case for other folks. But at least where I was, you know, in Illinois at the at the time when I kind of decided i guess i'm an atheist <laughs> mm -hmm. um reluctantly i i uh yeah i think i just felt like there's no there's nowhere i can go so and i even like in the last five years i remember a few years ago i still do a lot of um kind of spiritual stuff all the time and i went to a church to get holy water 
and the churches are open during confessional hours which are usually on like saturdays from four to five before like the evening masses um and i didn't want to talk to the priest so i like ran in and like grabbed the holy water and ran out because i didn't want him to ask me anything about why i was there or ask me to go confession or you were protecting yourself yeah Yeah. basically i just didn't want it to I, i didn't want to deal with it so i just like ran in and out mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh yeah i still have that holy water though <laughs> but, you want, but you wanted that holy water pretty bad i wanted that holy water really bad like i wanted to bless my house uh, my mom has some practices that like i still do quite a bit myself um particularly like praying and blessing my home mm-hmm. um and yeah and it's just a thing that she always did i think it's a cultural thing to some extent um yeah so you you shared a pretty chronological story of mm-hmm. how your gender identity and sexuality has related to Catholicism communities, Christian communities, um, mm-hmm. I guess more generally. Um, I just have like some. We're gonna just go back, um, mm-hmm. kind of in your story. I just There's have like some, a simultaneous. I just have timeline. some questions um, yeah. that I took note of. You, you mentioned that by the age of thirteen. You were not fitting gender norms. Mm -hmm. Can you go into some of the specifics and what that looked like? Yeah, I mean, I was um, I was really an outgoing kid, but I was also pretty bookish and introverted in my own ways. Um, I think I just mainly didn't fit into like what the norms of quote unquote women are supposed to be, especially as I got older. I think when I was a little kid, I was like allowed to do things that were not gendered as highly and people weren't really as worried about it and but then once i went through puberty it was like more of a thing around me um and so i just yeah i think some of the things i noticed pretty quickly was i never felt comfortable in what like now i think of as like high femme clothes so things like wearing a lot of pink or dresses Mm -hmm. um always loved makeup though Makeup's kind of just fun. Anyways, (laughs) but there's like, there were just a lot of things about like what I was expected to do as a woman that I felt really didn't work for me. Like I've always been really into um, like the most neutral colors. Like I love like blacks, browns, grays, you know, my, I'll get into blues sometimes and like, but I mostly wear like hunter green, like 95% of the time. (laughs) And so I just like, but all the like women's clothing just felt so uncomfortable for me. And like everything just felt very like hard. And I think we were also like at at that day and age, it was like the height of like a certain type of beauty standard, Mm. um, which was white, thin, you know, Paris Hilton type vibe um so like simultaneously i think i was like dealing with like never going to fit into that beauty standard i'm like for folks that don't know what i look like i'm like a like technically overweight curvy mexican person (laughs) like and i'm just not like i was never going to fit into that beauty standard and i think i just kept trying for a long time too and that really impacted it and so it all kind of just got confused into each other it was like if i'm going to be attractive I need to look a certain way that I knew I was never going to reach, mm-hmm. but I, I felt the pressure to do it. So I went on diets from a really young age. I, mm-hmm. I like was, you know, like just, I remember being in swim team and like, I, I was like low key anorexic because I just wasn't eating mm-hmm. like, and don't do that teenagers. You need food. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I just wasn't eating enough um, for how active I was. And I lost a ton of weight. 
and everybody was like, oh, you look so healthy. And I was actually like, not healthy, not healthy at all. Mm -hmm. But it was all this weight of like gender expectations that I had on me that I was supposed to do certain things. And I was supposed to look a certain way and I was supposed to act a certain way. And I was supposed to be like quiet and always like, it, is, it was more sub, I think in some like Christian sects, it's like really explicit, like you're supposed to serve men. And I mean, you know, when they were teaching the teachings, it was, but like culturally, it, the expectation was that you just didn't, you weren't supposed to talk that much as a woman and you weren't, mm. especially a teenage girl, like you weren't supposed to be taking up so much space. Huh. Um, and I, I am someone who takes up a lot of space you have a loud voice i got a lot of say yeah <laughs> i always have mm -hmm. I, I think it just would get me into trouble from time to time and you know I'm, I'm saying this all generally there were definitely like i remember one priest who was at the catholic school for example we went through so many priests like it was like every two years there was like a new priest mm -hmm. i don't know if we were like the break-in place for priests or what but he was a relatively new priest he was um he had been oh what's it's not evangelical and Anglican? Anglican? Yeah, yeah, Anglican. And uh, which is kind of similar to Catholicism mm -hmm. um, in many ways. Um, but he had, you know, he had converted and, and so he was, and he was a philosophy dude. Like he was just really into philosophy. He had philosophy classes I was in. And so he liked my energy because like I just love to debate. And he was yeah. like, great, <laughs> let's debate. Um, and he wasn't ever too scared off by me and never made me feel ashamed for like defending LGBTQ people. But That's I think good. in many ways, it was just like culturally, I just didn't quite fit. And I ended up just defaulting to being quiet a lot of the time hmm. in a lot of situations because I just didn't. So like for a long time, I think a lot of people perceived me as shy and like that's why they thought I was socially awkward. Mm. Um, but I'm not a shy person. And I, I think I was just, like I said, I was just hiding. You were holding back and hiding, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I think I think it was also just like a lot of the internal messages that get sent. Um, and I think femininity and masculinity is so hard to talk about because it is such like a spectrum and certain things, like I said, are like gendered femme that I, Mm -hmm. think are sometimes really silly <laughs> um but the reality is that when i was a kid it was like that was just what i had to do was and i yeah and i did i just kind of over time i i don't i haven't named her yet but she's like an alter ego of mine that like i put on sometimes um mm -hmm. in public situations mostly now um that like just keeps me safe you know it's yeah. a higher pitch of voice it's like a more demure attitude more accepting a bullshit like not looking to argue just yeah. trying to make peace and get through the day <laughs> kind of vibe yeah. um and that's often how i like still find myself interacting in certain situations because mm -hmm. it's like what's safe for someone in my particular body to do yeah um yeah you mentioned that you didn't really have very much support from role models or family or just anyone besides your peers yeah. um, some peers you didn't have a lot of support as in you weren't able to like really talk about how you're not fitting the gender norms and mm -hmm. how your sexuality is not fitting heterosexuality mm -hmm. how did that make you feel not having that support yeah i mean i just i felt really confused like <laughs> i think like the message i got was that people with vaginas are not supposed to like 
really have a sex drive necessarily like sex is like something you do for your husband and um that's about all the the purposes and then you have babies and that's really like the main function of sex so i didn't really understand that sex was like for my pleasure for a long time mm -hmm. which i think really made it so i was having like these kind of either neutral to bad sex experiences because i had no idea what i was doing <laughs> like <laughs> just dead no idea and i think like yeah a couple of my friends like tried like i had a few older friends that i hung out with and they would like talk to me about it a little bit um and but it, yeah i just really just worried about being shamed i guess for just like even having a sexuality even if i had was only talking about my interest in like people with penises like it i still felt like i couldn't um like i just couldn't even talk about it because it, it was like a forbidden thing for me i i wasn't supposed to be thinking about it but then i think it almost led to like this hyper fixation on it which is ironic <laughs> i almost feel like christian culture has this weird thing that happens where like there's so much focus on sex mm -hmm. That, like that's all everyone talks about like and it's just kind of odd to me because it's like there's this hyper fixation on it but it's supposed to be forbidden hmm. but it's like the i don't know like it's like a fly you know where it's yeah. like don't think about the fly mm -hmm. but the fly is like buzzing in your ear and you're like not supposed to think about it but the, like, i don't know like to me it's like if someone constantly is like don't masturbate you're still repeating the word masturbate right. like 10 times <laughs> mm -hmm. and i got less of like direct communication about it you know it was pretty much a flat like don't have sex you'll die kind of message but like i because yeah because that was the only part of health class we had was like you'll get aids and you'll die <laughs> it was like, like the mean <laughs> girls like scene <laughs> yeah the mean girls scene chance. <laughs> yeah 100 percent chance you will die you'll get <laughs> pregnant and you will die <laughs> like um that yeah. was pretty much the only you know education i had was like stds exist and they're dangerous mm -hmm. um so it was always just fear-based too you know like and, and things like, because in the Catholic religion, you're not supposed to use birth control, although like 70% of Catholics totally do. Um, it's, it was just sort of the thing of like, you can't have sex until you're married because you don't want to get pregnant because you don't want to get pregnant out of wedlock and you can't use birth control because it's a sin to block life from happening in mm -hmm. any way. That's the idea is like, yeah. you're interrupting God's meaning, your God's design. Yeah. And so it's just kind of like this uh, catch 22 kind of situation. It's like constantly in your face. Nobody's really explaining how any of it works. And, mm -hmm. but you know, you're not supposed to do it. And you constantly think about it because everyone's constantly talking about it and how you're not supposed to do it. <laughs> so it's just, it's just really confusing, I think. So it sounds like if you were to talk to somebody about even sex, not even, I'm not even talking about being gay or, um, not fitting gender norms mm -hmm. that's like a, another category but just sex in general just anything about sex was pretty much ignored you don't you didn't talk about it and that created you to be almost hypersexual is that what you're saying yeah okay yeah i think it like created like a hyper fixation on it and it was like it was almost like the best way to rebel mm -hmm. you know in some ways it was like I didn't, I got drug tested in high school because it was Catholic school and they like actually cut your hair. So it was like, there was no way um, any of us could drink or use drugs, which good, probably good for my brain. Um, but like, I, I had like no other real forms of like rebellion or things I could do within the bounds of what my family's rules were. 
um, that it could really rebel against. And I felt very constricted and restricted and kind of just, just held down or something. I don't know. And I don't think my parents meant to, but I just felt very much like yeah, I couldn't be myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I started to have sex, especially with boys, frankly, like out of this like kind of just rebellion, <laughs> like mm-hmm. this like I'll do it if I want to kind of vibe yeah. and not thinking about the consequences and like not thinking about like how important sex is. And like and I and now I view sex in a very different way than I did when I was a teenager. Um, well, I view sex as neutral, but I, I do think there's like bad sex that can happen. And I think it can yeah. be really harmful um Mm -hmm. for people involved and i think that is a real risk that teenagers take when they go into sex with like no idea what they're doing yeah um Mm -hmm. and i think that there was a general like just unsafety about it that i final i've simultaneously found really thrilling but i was ashamed of and i didn't want to talk about it with anybody you know and i didn't Mm -hmm. really I didn't really talk to my parents about it. You know, I think eventually when I was like 18, I was like, I'm having sex. I need birth control. Mm-hmm. And it was a bit of a drama <laughs> about that. And then they were like, you can pay for it. And I was like, fine, <laughs> I'll pay for it. You know, but I think other than that, like, I don't remember many explicit conversations um, about sex in my family or in my church other than don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a lot of don't do it. It's like a lot of attention brought to it, but not really anything at least for me that was like this is what healthy sex looks like yeah um or this is how or like even things like how to find a good partner or like how to know when you feel safe with someone mm-hmm. enough to even think about sex um and so i think i just kind of rushed into it mm-hmm. um and i i'd look back on it and i i don't really feel the shame or guilt about it but i do like wish i had had more resources available to like be safer and be more careful and who knows i might have waited actually Mm -hmm. (laughs) like if i knew more about it and i knew i understood not just pregnancy and stds not those those consequences but like the emotional consequences the physical consequences um and just like them and I, I don't really believe in virginity as this, like, kind of <laughs> the way it is in purity culture often of, like, this, like, perfect, like, yeah. you know, like, this is your this is your whole self or something. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, um, you know, for most people, having sex for the first time is a pretty big experience in their life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think the best way you can go about it is, like, carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone really about what I was experiencing, um... I just kind of did it and didn't really think about like how I'd feel later about it or how it would yeah. impact my sex life in mm-hmm. future years or like how it would impact my concept of like romantic partners and who I was worthy, who was, well, frankly, who was worthy to have me, which is like yeah. a new concept <laughs> for me, which yeah. sounds strange at 28 to be like, oh yeah, I like have self-value. But frankly, like I just was not taught. Mm-hmm. necessarily that i should be like thinking about me in relationships yeah. I, I always felt like it was about the other person and mm-hmm. not so much um not so much like what they could bring to the table that would make me feel more comfortable but like some sort of need i was supposed to meet for them like yeah yeah that was like my purpose in life 
to like meet other people's needs and even when it wasn't um like later on as i became an adult like even when it wasn't like the surface level my you know immediate issues i was dealing with it was still like it's still something i'm kind of just unpacking over time mm -hmm. um and just getting a lot more picky <laughs> about like who i sleep with and who i put my time in um mm -hmm. which maybe would be surprising to people that like all this wild sexual escapades um has not led me to like be like oh that's the best way to have sex <laughs> i mean it can be fun <laughs> like yeah um you know my current partner and i we we slept together the first time we met and i it was not a planned thing by any means it just kind of happened and mm -hmm. it was it's been great but i don't think that's necessarily always how it should go in every relationship yeah. and i don't judge me or or them for having made that choice at that time but I also don't, I don't think that's like always the right way to go about it. It just depends on the relationship you have. And I think that that's, I think those nuances are just really flattened from when I was a kid. Like when I was a kid, it was just kind of black and white. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Thanks for sharing that. You mentioned that uh, throughout your early teen years, um, into your later teen years, that you you messed around with girls and guys. You had sex with a guy. Mm -hmm. Did you experience any feelings of shame afterwards? Since you know you grew up in this culture that said you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, I had a lot of shame about it. Um, I think that's why I just didn't ever told anybody. Hmm. You know, I never told my parents. Um, you know, even when I came out, I, my dad was like, oh, I knew, <laughs> you know, and, you know, but even he was like, oh, it's probably, you know, it's probably a phase. And yeah. I figured you couldn't get pregnant if you were sleeping with girls. So I just never interrupted it. <laughs> um, but clearly okay. me and my uh, friends were not that quiet, um, as we thought we were. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember him being like, don't have sleepovers. <laughs> Where <laughs> my mom was like, why? All girls have sleepovers. <laughs> it's like, I don't want her to do it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm tired of this. <laughs> but yeah, so I I think like there was a lot of shame. I think I just mostly internalized it and like didn't really even acknowledge it to myself that I was feeling a lot of shame about it. I think a lot of my other friends, they were, like I said, they were not religious. They grew up in very secular households. And so to them, they were like, what's the big deal? Like, <laughs> you know, they knew that it was a big deal. But they just, it was just something we couldn't quite connect on. Mm -hmm. um, and like the people that I knew that I'd been friends with who were religious, you know, we weren't very close anymore um, by the time this stuff was happening. And so it just all kind of was internalized and never really expressed until I got older. Um, and I, I held a lot of resentment for my mm -hmm. family and, and my community because I felt like I couldn't be my whole self. And that yeah. took me a long time to like unlearn. Mm -hmm. and realized that a lot of it was like lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, lack yeah. of familiarity, lack of access to these things and them not understanding what was going on with me either. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so I, I find I'm like a lot more forgiving about it these days, but at the time I was really mad, you know, and I, was, and I think I was acting out a lot and like my parents always were like, just I just think they were just confused about why I was so mad. Mm -hmm. um and then once i came out i think like the anger surfaced 
and it was like a lot harder for me to like keep my cool around them for mm. a long time and i think a lot of the anger was from the shame you yeah know? that's that was gonna be my next question do you think they're connected yeah i think the rejection that i felt like led me to kind of i i realized i had a bit of a shield up against, about myself for a long time mm -hmm. and i thought um you know, I, I've had a lot of people say to me, like, oh, you're so open and vulnerable. <laughs> and the truth is, it's like I cherry pick the things I will tell people and share with people. Um, and there's a lot of things I just don't share with most people. Yeah. Um, and so I think I give the impression to a lot of people of like a very vulnerable, open person. But I'm actually sometimes very much like doing that as a form of distancing hmm. of like, oh, I can tell you this thing and then I can still feel can safe. You shut up and not ask me any more questions <laughs> basically <think> so <laughs> so yeah i and i you know i've always been kind of um a fierce advocate for myself um since being an adult um since 18. but i think in the early years of that i really didn't know how to be an advocate for myself mm -hmm. and so i was just sometimes an asshole or a dick or just like rude to people because i just didn't know how else to you know, stand up for myself. Yeah. Um, I just didn't have the tools. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it like the shame, like became anger and resentment and distrust. And over time, as I, you know, as I realized more and more that I just didn't really think this stuff was actually that big of a deal. And I thought it was all kind of overblown and overhyped and yeah, really kind of besides the point to everyone's basic humanity. Um, I, I think that anger like stayed for a while. And I think until I got into therapy, I didn't even realize how much I had issues with my family or my church community. Um, I thought like, well, I just don't agree with them. So, and I'm not involved with that as much anymore. And I just don't talk about that. And I don't share that part of myself. So it's not really, I, I must be over it. I must be cool. <laughs> like, yeah, but you weren't. I was not at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I was holding on to so much. And it all comes from having to hide you felt like yeah 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 i think just feeling and feeling like when i let out parts of myself like when i slipped up when i wasn't hiding when people found out about things i felt shame and rejection mm. i didn't feel like people were wanting to understand or or learn or think about what was going on with me it was just kind of an automatic rejection mm -hmm. yeah so you just talked about how you you had to hide that mm -hmm. led to shame that led to anger um and you just kind of bottled that inside of you um but you had to have coped with it in some way Other, otherwise you would have just totally self-destructed <laughs> so i'm curious how how did you cope with some of those feelings I think um, once I got into college, um, I was able to hang out with other queer people and not just in like a dating setting, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think for a long time I was just like, oh, I find out this girl's actually a little gay um, because like they start flirting with me or something. And that was like really my only contact, but I didn't have like queer friends and I didn't have like a community. Yeah. Um, and then in college, I started to develop my first community. And a lot of those folks were also, um, you know, black, indigenous or people of color. And so they were mostly like other Latinx people or black folks. And so and all of us were like kind of queer in our own like ways. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so I think once I started having that community, that was like really my main coping strategy. I think my friends were always my main coping strategy was like maintaining friendships. Even in high school, I had several like other friends that were LGBTQ and I had older, fr older friends who were more progressive, who were pretty accepting of us yeah. um, and let us just be <laughs> who we were. Mm -hmm. um, and in some cases very much protected us. Um, and so I think it was always just like outside of my church and my family, I looked for um, what a lot of people I think term chosen family. I think that can be dangerous though, because I, I think friends change, people change, things change. Yeah. Um, so I've kind of strayed away from that term because I, I think it can put too much on people, mm -hmm. too much expectations. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, I think it's just having friends that I can talk to now and I can be honest with and I can be vulnerable with and I can be just myself around. Um, yeah. And then at work too, I think like at first work was always really hard for me, you know, because in the beginning stages, especially in fast food jobs, people would be hitting on me a lot people like men <laughs> mostly um and, and so it was just kind of like and then once i rejected enough of them um it was kind of like oh like they must be you know gay mm -hmm. um and it would kind of come up whereas now i work um i work as a climate activist um and i work in a very progressive field you know every meeting is like names pronouns <laughs> um yeah. and i mean it's the same like 30 people i always work with so we all know our names and pronouns which sometimes cracks uh -huh. me up <laughs> <laughs> um but anyways but i i do think that's a generally good practice because i've seen people change their pronouns while i work with them quite a bit mm -hmm. um but i was the first non-binary person in the workplace and i came out because i was like great this is like a progressive place they're using pronouns even though i'm the only like yeah. <laughs> trans person in the room i'll, I'll give it a go and mm -hmm. um yeah at first i think people struggled with it a little bit but it was a different attitude about it in general it was more like uh i want to get this right and I'm, I'm kind of ignorant about it so i'm gonna work on it mm -hmm. kind of attitude versus like a rejection which mm -hmm. was much more easy for me to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just wasn't getting hit on at work anymore. Um, I was in the type of work environment where that just doesn't happen. Yeah. You know? Um, and so that all that kind of changed a lot for me because I could just be me um, and not have any like weight of expectations on me or at least like split like those types of expectations around my gender and my sexuality i think as a femme i still deal with like a lot of especially as someone with like a pretty like what most people would see as like very like feminine body type um i think people like still sometimes treat me in a certain way <laughs> that um you know if you're a woman you know like the condescending like kind of uh okay sweetie kind of attitude especially as a young femme but um now that i'm getting older and i have some wrinkles around my eyes that doesn't happen as much um mm. so it's been kind of an interesting experience um just watching that kind of shift and i think i just in general have taken a different attitude about it at work you know even like last week i had this older white guy you know who's a volunteer for the naacp and he was like misgendered me in an email and we had like a pleasant conversation on the phone before this and I just sent him an email being like, hey, no big deal, but these are my pronouns. If you need yeah. any resources or you want to talk about it, you know, we can we can discuss it more and I can help you understand a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, yeah, cool. Well, thanks for thanks for the reminder. <laughs> yeah. Like, didn't ask any more questions. Um, and that's generally how it goes now. 
you know i think um of course with like my conservative roots it's a lot more complicated mm -hmm. to be quite honest but um i think even then like i think lgbtq people we've we've done a really good job making our case generally to society mm -hmm. that we're people and deserve rights and should not be fired at work or harassed in our housing or oh murdered or, <laughs> or generally harmed um because we're just human beings and we deserve that like every other human being mm -hmm. and so i think a lot of things have gone a lot better um generally and i think that has generally like made it a lot easier to have some mm -hmm. of these conversations i think there's still a lot That's of good. ignorance <laughs> in the conservative world mm -hmm. um a lot of misunderstandings a lot of defensiveness a lot of um, I think people are worried about offending people and so they don't ask questions or they don't oh, know yeah. how to ask questions. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's still like a lot of like walking on eggshells, I find, with folks from my like roots that I, that I navigate and I often just like kind of put up with it. But it, it is harder depending on the situation, you know, if I'm staying with people for like a, a significant period of time, for example, like it weighs a lot heavier on my mental health because I'm like... You know, nobody's using my correct pronouns the entire day. And they're all people I care about. Yeah. You know, they're people I love and I want to love me and I want to feel loved by them. And I think that's that's hard. And I don't know if people really understand how much it can be um, really hurtful after a while, especially when someone's like come out and really tried to mm -hmm. do their best. <laughs> Yeah. to like not be an asshole about it to not mm -hmm. to not be like a teenager like i i was about it but just be you know me yeah. um and try to be kind and gentle um and forgiving and so i think that's hard because like i i keep trying because i love those people and i want to have a good relationship with them and i want to have an intimate relationship with them and mm -hmm. i know that this is like a big deal for me and intimacy like i i know that without that peace i don't connect with people i i have my shield up i keep them at a 10 foot distance <laughs> yeah so i can be safe um and i think that's really hard for people to understand too because like for certain people it can feel like i'm pretty closed off to them or i'm defensive around them or um but truthfully i just I'm just protecting myself, <laughs> like yeah. trying not to have too many expectations that they can't meet, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think that kind of shield is still something I'm like, I think I'm a little bit more uh, good at like intentionally doing it, mm -hmm. but it doesn't, it's not something I can sustain. It's not something that makes me feel good. It's not something that I feel whole yeah. in. I feel like I'm just cutting out parts of myself and editing. <laughs> um to be acceptable and so it's definitely not sustainable it, it's something i can do for a, a couple days yeah um i can put up with it for a couple days and then i and then i get i start to lose my mind a little bit <laughs> which um yeah is hard it's hard and then it's hard to express to people why and like help people understand and the best i can say is like if you if you're a cis man and, and you feel like you're a man and you know that very settled in it Imagine if every day you walked around and people called you she mm. all day long and you're sitting in your body and you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like all day long and you, you feel confused and caught off guard. You don't always know when people are talking to you. Mm -hmm. 
um that that's the feeling that it's that's the best i can do to like put someone in my shoes it's like hmm. like imagine whatever if you're a cis person if someone called you the opposite gender all day long yeah um it's it's really stressful mm-hmm. um and yeah and i think um now i'm like privileged enough to not deal with that day to day um which i'm glad i just don't really worry about anymore yeah. um in my day-to-day life but yeah when it, it it's clear to me that a lot of people don't have that experience and i hope people can find those communities that they yeah. feel safe in mm-hmm. for you speaking of safety do you think you can ever feel safe with somebody who says anisa i love you and i accept you and you know i want i want what's best for you um Mm -hmm. i don't feel like i can I, f- I feel like a non-heterosexual relationship is wrong. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, they wouldn't say this, but basically yeah. if you have a vagina, I think you are a woman. If mm-hmm. you have a penis, I think you're a man. Mm-hmm. But I love you and I accept you and I want a relationship with you and I'm not judging you. Mm. Do you think you can feel safe with someone like that and if not why and if so why i would say no and not because that person is trying to be an unsafe person or has any like um any animosity towards me necessarily but the truth is they don't they'll never know me Mm -hmm. and so they'll never they'll never get the opportunity for me to feel safe around them Mm -hmm. because i'll never talk to them about it Typically, what I do with people who are like that, mm-hmm. where I know there's good intentions, but an inability or caution or <laughs> hang up about it, um, I just typically don't talk about it very much with them. I try to talk yeah. about anything else that like can humanize me to them, mm-hmm. anything that I think might cause common ground or shared empathy or care but I just don't talk about it with them. So they, so they just, they can't know me. They can't really be close enough for me to be safe. I mean, I always feel like people like that. Um, and even like in my case, even just people who just can't get my pronouns, right? Like out of just pure <laughs> ignorance or inability or, you know, a lot of older folks like just are like, I don't, I don't get it. And I, I have empathy for them because, you know, different generations. Um, I, I just, it's just one of those things where I'm just like, well, okay, like I can accept that. I can accept that they have good intentions and I can accept that they're trying their best and yeah. that they want the best for me. But ultimately, like they're not compatible with me as a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, I just have to, in my own way, accept that about them and protect myself and have boundaries yeah. so I can stay safe on my own without them. Mm-hmm. in some ways like with them only um 
having certain access. So yeah, I mean, I just think like when it comes down to it, there are just like people um, that I care about a lot that I love that contributed to raising me that will probably never know me mm. really. Like they'll know parts of me, they'll know. And of course, like they know things about me and and they yeah. know they know that they know that this part of me exists, but it will never be explicit in front of them. And if it does slip out, like if they come to my apartment and they see uh, one of my vagina paintings, <laughs> if it, it slips out, they'll I'll, I'll just kind of make a joke about it and like redirect them mm -hmm. away from it because that's a lot better for both of us. Um, Cause at this point I realized that there's sometimes where there's just nothing I can do. Like I, I have to just kind of sit there and accept that whatever that person's journey is, they're not, they're not going to move anymore that day at least. Yeah. Um, I think I'm still a debater. So that's where I have to be kind of careful. Um, cause I think I can really easily get sucked into like <laughs> trying to argue with them and like argue them into agreeing with me or argue them into like seeing my point. But that usually just drives people away and it just hurts me because there's probably nothing I can say. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I hope that things like sharing stories and different things like helps people come to at least some amount of empathy for LGBTQ people. I, th I do think that has had a huge impact, like just people sharing their stories and people becoming more humanized and more real and more, you know, flesh and bone yeah. um, rather than just an idea or a concept. Um, mm -hmm. But I think ultimately, like there's some folks that are just not there yet and they could be there and they might be there. You know, I've seen a lot of progress just within my own family. And while it's not perfect, it's like I see them trying. I see how hard they work to like meet me where I'm at. And I have a lot of respect for them like yeah. for doing that um and still like we're not quite compatible yet <laughs> as right. human beings like as much as i work to meet them and they work to meet me we're mm -hmm. still like sometimes just missing each other hitting each other harming each other like not quite working yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it sucks because like i mm -hmm. think um generally i try to have a pretty i try to have a pretty pretty like open forgiving attitude about it these days Obviously, I'm human and I get angry sometimes or frustrated, so I don't want to be like, I'm perfect. But um, but yeah, just I, I think it's hard yeah. to like really be trusting. Yeah. How do you respond to someone that just says there is there are males, there are females, uh -huh. but you can be a female and you can dress exactly like you're dressing. Uh -huh. You can play football you can or or whatever just yeah. do whatever you do like anisa i see you yeah i see you as a woman but yeah. like i think everything that you're doing uh -huh. like gender wise can fit into that category yeah and i i accept that but i see you as a woman why does yeah. does that work and if mm. not why i i think it um it misses like the internal world piece of it. Like it assumes that like that this is just a like expression thing. So like to me, there's like the difference between gender expression, which is like the way I dress and the way I talk and 
how I interact with the world and like a gender identity, which is like how I conceptualize myself, how mm -hmm. I think about myself, what really feels authentic and real to me. And I think that, um, yeah, when I, when I hear people like refer to me as a woman, my immediate thought is, oh, they're confused. <laughs> <laughs> like while while everyone else is like oh maybe you're confused i'm over here like oh you're confused like you you're like miss miss uh you're misidentifying me you're like you, you just got lost along the way when you saw a big bite like you, like mm -hmm. you just you just missed it somehow yeah. um and like to people who are more i think sensitive to these things or more like used to queer people it's like pretty self-evident you know like i i went to a party yesterday and i like walked in and I introduced myself and someone was like, oh, do you use they, them pronouns? Like automatically. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's cultural to some degree. I think that there are some folks who just honestly find the idea of being non-binary just so foreign, unnecessary, awkward, strange, that they're just like, that can't be real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But it is, um, it doesn't mean that it's real for everybody though. It, it doesn't mean that someone like that dresses the way I do, that ex expresses my gender the way I do is automatically non-binary. Yeah. But it does mean that there are a lot of other people like me who don't feel like a man or a woman, you know? Like, I think at some periods in my life, I was like, man, I just wish I'm like, uh, I was just like a binary trans dude. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be so much easier to just like, cut off my boobs and like be a man and just like do that. Um, mm -hmm. But the truth is it doesn't feel at all like who I am. And at the same time, it doesn't feel at all like who I am to, uh, to, to identify as a woman. Like it feels like a lie and, and it feels like I'm like lying, frankly, if I say that. And I, it, yeah, it can make other people feel more or less comfortable but I think that ultimately has more to do with themselves because I think what a lot of times what trans people do is point out that these gender expressions are really kind of silly yeah. and a little strange and awkward. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so it points out that like girls playing soccer is not inherently a masculine thing. <laughs> that does not make girls like little girls like yeah. boys <laughs> automatically. Um, but it does like kind of point those things out and i think it can cause some confusion for people who don't experience these types of feelings where they conflate the two and it, it, they're not really the same thing like i i know plenty of butch trans women and uh believe it or not and like and like i i know that their identity is still very solid that they're a woman you know and they have short hair and they don't really wear makeup and they like their but they like transition their physical form um in some ways but maybe they didn't do it in other ways and i'm like i kind of i kind of am like yeah i mean like y you can like the identity of being a woman or a man or a non-binary person is kind of separate i guess at the end of the day mm -hmm. from like your gender expression so yeah for me at least like if i if i like when I have like just let people think I'm a woman, I kind of feel like I'm like lying to them or like I'm playing a trick on them or like I'm, I mean, in some cases it's like the safest thing to do. Yeah. But I, I don't feel really good about it. And I, I feel like, yeah, if someone said that to me, I guess I would just be kind of like 
okay. Like, frankly, not very much talk to them much more about it mm -hmm. because I would just assume that that person needs some sort of access that I can't give them, that, like, my voice isn't going to really be something they can understand. And, and I just kind of, like, accept it and, like, I'm just like, okay, another one. Yeah. Another human in the world I'm just not compatible with. That's fine. <laughs> like, gotcha. move on with my day. Yeah. So as we know, there are a lot of LGBTQ plus people who are in a non-affirming atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So what would you like to say to them? Yeah, I guess um, first and foremost, if you're in an extreme situation, um, which I hope this is extreme <laughs> for most people, but um, if someone tries to introduce you to the concept of conversion therapy, um, and this is anything that might be implying that you can um, not be gay, that you can choose not to be gay, that you can learn how to be straight, um, don't do that. Um, studies have shown it, it leads very much to self-harm and suicide. Um, and also, you just don't deserve to be abused. You don't deserve to be um, harmed. And those programs are often physically and verbally abusive. So don't do that. <laughs> I would say, um, if depending on what your situation is, um, it might not be a good idea to come out when you're a teenager. Um, it might not be safe for you physically, or maybe your housing might not be stable, um, where you're not sure how your family would respond just generally. It might cause a lot of stress. So it might be safer to stay in the closet until you're in college. Um, but you should talk to your friends. Um, you should talk to people that you can trust. Maybe there are some older folks like myself that you can trust. But do talk to people. But just keep in mind that um, sex is a really important thing. <laughs> And you deserve to have a healthy sex life and you deserve to find out what that means for you. And um, yeah, and you should explore that. There are lots of resources online now. <laughs> I didn't have internet when I was growing up really. So um, there's lots of resources to learn about, you know, LGBTQ safe sex practices. Um, definitely read into those, do your own learnings, like be safe out there, <laughs> kids. Uh, it, it's stds are definitely a thing and i think in the queer community it's definitely a thing to think about um especially hiv um aids i will say um don't stigmatize people though with it because it's a very treatable disease and it's not uh it's just not kind <laughs> um also i would say like finally like learn like when you can when you make those spaces for yourself try to figure out what you like about your queerness what what makes you happy about it what gives you joy and try to hold on to that and find ways to express it this could be through art music um i think that's why there's a lot of artsy queer folks um because like that was a way to express ourselves um so find different outlets um for expressing like your anger your feelings about things that maybe can still keep you safe but allow you to like process that and I guess I just finally like hope that you know that life is both short and long and there's plenty of life to live. Um, so especially if you're a teenager, just as much as it can feel like high school and everything is like the end of the world, like it, it will, it will eventually be a different setting and, and you deserve to find people who love and respect you. And so, you know, if, if anything, like make it your lifelong mission to have friends around you, to have people around you who make you glow, who make you whole, who you feel 
you can truly be whoever you really are with them. Um, and that means that you can make mistakes and you can <laughs> be awkward and you can, you know, fall down <laughs> and like you can be vulnerable mm -hmm. with those people. And, and that's really what you want to look for. Um, and I guess finally, like on, a, on the Christianity note, there are now affirming churches. Um, so eventually, um, if you're interested in Christianity still as a practice, if something that still speaks to you, there are ways to be a Christian and be queer. Um, you know, my, I myself am a spiritual Christian. Like, that's kind of how I conceptualize my spirituality nowadays. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is I, I don't go to church, but I definitely believe in God. I believe in the values of Jesus um, generally. And I think that the Bible is complicated. <laughs> um, and I don't uh, take everything necessarily at full, you know, face value in the Bible anymore. I, I take it as a book that um, our ancestors put together and our ancestors were humans um, and they were definitely trying to speak to God's word but things are messy when you have humans translating God um, they're messy when I try to talk about it hmm. so you know just remember that you can be spiritual and you can have a faith community some good churches that I'm aware of um, are the Unitarian Church um, Quakers are quite welcoming um, so you know seek out branches and explore a little bit and and also be open to other religious practices other theologies and see what works for you um but you can still you know for a long time like i said i thought i had to be an atheist you don't have to be an atheist you you can have a faith life and if you want that if that's something that gives you joy and gives you and makes you feel more connected um to the world around us then you should do it <laughs> you should seek it out for yourself um not for anybody else. Um, and I guess just finally, like, remember that the people around you who are harming you are often unaware of why they're doing those things, actually, like what the deeper reasons are for it. And um, if you can find ways to be forgiving to them, it, it, it's helpful. If, if nothing else, just for your own sanity. So you're not mulling on it all the time you're not thinking about all this resentment all the time you're not thinking about all the harms you went through all the time you can actually learn how to feel joy again um and so you know just don't get too i always one of my friends one of my queer friends always tells me um that's people's stuff over there that's their stuff <laughs> it's their stuff <laughs> like so recognize when it's you and when it's them and try to distinguish that and try to make some distance um, for yourself sometimes just so that you can really see who you are as a human being. Um, and I guess the last thought I have is it's perfectly okay to explore your gender and your sexuality and end up deciding you're cishet. Those are things that do happen. So like you can go down this path and you can realize that's not like the thing that you really connect with. Um, so just don't be afraid, you know, there's nobody's, I, I personally am not like wanting everybody to be gay. <laughs> I, I want everyone to do what's good for them. Um, at the same time, I do think it can be really healthy for people to explore, especially gender stuff, um, so that they can be more comfortable in their bodies and feel more present. So give yourself permission to be a little messy and explore and 
get things wrong and change your mind. And, uh, you know, I, it took me a while to get to this place where I just kind of know what I am, who I am, how I feel. Um, mm -hmm. so give yourself that space. And, and, you know, I always joke that there's a term for folks like that. They're queer bees, <laughs> <laughs> queer babies. They're, they're important members of our community. Um, and I, I think that if you're, even if you're just questioning, like know that there are people out there that will accept you for who you are, even if you're not quite sure yet what that means for you. All right. Well, Anissa, I really appreciate you sitting down with me and sharing your story regarding this stuff. It's not easy to do. And um, thank you for your wisdom. And yeah, just thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's nice to connect with you. <laughs> um, of course. Yeah, for listeners, Drew and I grew up together. So yeah, it's, it's really cool. interesting um, having this like kind of coming back to each other after a few years and, and mm -hmm. seeing each other in this context. So thanks for yeah. inviting me and thinking of me and holding so much space. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. All right. That's the end of our conversation. But I just wanted to say that if you are an LGBTQ plus person and you are in a non-affirming atmosphere or you are just trying to explore your identity for the first time, um, I very much recommend listening back to what Anissa said about the various resources that are out there for you. And Anissa also said that it's very important to find someone to, that you trust that you can talk to um, or finding an adult mentor that you can talk to. And I can say from firsthand experience that Anissa is a very trustworthy person that is very good to talk to about this stuff. So if you wanted to get in touch with Anissa, I recommend finding the Project Matter social media pages and, and just uh, shoot us a message uh, that you want to be passed on to Anissa and we will be filtering it uh, for their safety, but we may be passing that on to Anissa. So that's one way that you can get connected to a trustworthy adult that you can talk about this stuff with. Also, if you just want to join the general conversation happening on the Project Matter social media pages regarding this topic, I very much recommend following our various pages. Thanks for listening, everybody.